am JJ and welcome back to the Art of Value Investing. Or welcome if this is your first time here. This is episode 15. The date where I am is Thursday the 17th of June 2021. Just the preliminaries. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not giving any advice here. I'm just talking. I'm talking to myself as much as talking to you. It's just my own thoughts and ideas. Do your own research. Don't buy any stocks based on what I say here. I may not know what I'm doing. And also, I'm not spending much time editing this podcast. As people who have listened before may know, sometimes it's a bit rough, but it's as good as live. That's because I want to devote more time to research and analysis rather than editing and making podcast content. Also, you can contact me on Twitter at The Art of Value. I monitor that every day, I'm there every day, so feel free to contact me there. So in today's show, I thought I might, what will I do? I might talk about, well, I, the day on Twitter, talking about Twitter, the other day I was having a, turned in, what turned into a debate about Tesla. Yes, one of the most talked about stocks. So I find there are a couple of places on the internet I go. Sometimes I go to this my local Facebook group. It's an investing group. And people on there are very, very optimistic, let's say, um, mostly tech stocks. It's kind of like, um, sort of like Robin Hood, but maybe not quite, like, not so much like that. But I think similar kind of investors. And I like to go there to see what people are talking about um you know retail investors and so they're very optimistic on tesla and a lot of the posts are about tesla and elon musk etc and then on twitter i follow on fin twitter mostly the people i follow are mostly value investors so people in there are, are very harsh about tesla very much so and uh, the other day i saw somebody say that you know that they expect Tesla to fail, uh, you know, and over time. And what they meant by that is not being, not, they, the, what they meant by that was not being as successful, as successful as what the optimist is saying about sort of dominating the, the auto market and, you know, dominating energy and, um, um, full self-driving being a big thing and then basically you know Tesla turning into this multi-trillion dollar company and I find myself I find myself debating <laughs> debating these value investors or do, not defending Tesla and Elon Musk because I think you know what I see on there is I've seen people be I have seen I probably some have been optimistic you know serious analysts and people like Ron Barron are very optimistic about Tesla. He uh, invested early. He's an investor in SpaceX. And he's made, I don't know, probably 100x out of it. I don't know. But he's optimist, optimistic for the future. I had an interview by him the other day saying, uh, I can't remember what the podcast was, sorry, but he was saying, you know, he expects Tesla to be a $2 trillion company within 10 years, conservatively. And uh, then there are others who, who are bargaining on you know, when they were when Tesla was nine hundred dollars, that Tesla would be ten X from there or at least ten X from where it is now, which, you know, 
we're you know like around six trillion dollars within ten years or maybe longer than ten years you know so there are these wildly different um wildly different estimates of where it could go I'm somewhere in between even though I'm a value investor i you know i i, I mean people get bogged down in the in the financials too much you know saying it's not profitable. It's uh, just looking at the, the historical financials and the present financials, and then there are people who are wildly optimistic about where it's going and where it will be good. And I'm, I mean, I'm, what I was saying is that I don't, the financials aren't that bad, you know, like it's, it's got good, it has got good growth. The, um, just off the top of my head, the, 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 I remember the, the gross margin is improving, or no, I don't, is it the gross margin, the, um, well, the margins in any way are sort of okay for the industry i you know for the we could say industry or industries but for the auto it's it's actually not that bad it's growing a lot and just but if you take a step back you know let's just take a step back and forget the financials for now because they're they're not bad but you can argue about with the the um the credits that it gets and then it's the, you know the profits based on that and then there's the bitcoin argument and all that but um what I think basically is that if you take a step back and just think about what's been achieved so far, you know, it's pretty, it's phenomenal that, you know, basically Tesla has made electric cars cool and popular, you know, and, and heading increasingly popular to, to where they're becoming mass market. And it's pretty obvious that to me that the majority of electric cars will be, will be in the world you know, sooner rather than later over the next decade, will sort of be in that'll be helped along by regulation. I mean, one of my previous episodes that is the most listened to I see was the EV bubble. I mean, all I've all I've argued there for for a long time was that it it was like last year, along with a lot of other stocks, sort of got into a bubble and early this year in February, and then of course it's come down a lot. And what Tesla came down like thirty five percent. It's still expensive, yes. Um, I, I'm I'm not a shareholder. Um, and I haven't looked into it as as much as I would if I was going to become a shareholder. But to me, just the bigger picture. I mean, Elon Musk has managed to. There are very few entrepreneurs who've managed to do as much as as what's been achieved with Tesla and the SpaceX. I mean, as I said, making electric cars popular and you know, just the expansion that's going on. I mean, I see value, a lot of value investors talk, sort of uh, attacking, saying, you know, sort of, you know, that it's not going to work out. It's not going to work out. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of Amazon. It was, it was very unclear for for a very long time whether Amazon would actually work out. And Amazon, of course, went through like a ninety percent drawdown. I think fifty percent a number of times. I mean, just, so just the bigger picture, I do think over 10 years, Tesla probably will, I think Ron Barron of like two, $2 trillion market cap eventually is is kind of reasonable if it works out, and I think it will. I, I think it's past the stage where it won't. It's just, I mean, there will be intense competition, though. Um, that, that's that's a question mark, you know, in terms of value investing when you look at, um, you know, uh, the question of moat and how intense will the competition be? I mean, the auto 
industry for decades hasn't had much remote Ferrari is a bit different because of the um you know they they limit supply and there's a lot of demand so you know that's that's a moat but the, you know the general mass market auto industry is trying to make as many as they can uh and we definitely need a lot of electric cars to address the climate problem that it's you know i mean tesla's aim is to for its mission to accelerate sustainable energy not just evs but energy so i mean i I kind of am, I am a supporter of what they're doing and I like the company. I just, I wasn't a shareholder early on. So it, it looks expensive to me. People often ask me when I, when I would buy. I mean, you know, if Ron Barron, Ron Barron says two trillion dollars, I think, and I think that's kind of reasonable, really. It won't be easy. But I mean, I'm looking, I, as I've kind of said before, I'm looking for stocks that can compound 10x over time, so I'm looking for smaller companies, which is one of the reasons that I haven't bought, but if it, bought Tesla. But if it's a big market, if it's a, a big addressable market, which the auto industry and EVs over the next 10 years is, you know, it's possible. But I think, you know, 2 trillion, 10x from 2 trillion, so if it got down to, you know, 200 billion market cap, then I'd definitely think about it and never say no. People say, oh, it won't happen, it won't happen. And maybe it, it, you know, it probably won't. But it, if we go through, and Michael Burrow was back on Twitter yesterday, scaring the living daylights out of FinTwit with, you know, saying that it's the what did he say, the biggest bubble, um, by two orders, orders, orders of magnitude, bubble and everything. Um, so. I don't know if he'll be right, but you know, something, somebody, something to be taken seriously. There are so many different uh, opinions on that, of course. But um, you know, something to think about. What if, what if that, what if that is true? I mean, um, you know, Tesla could go down a lot more than that. Here we go. This is what Barry said. People, are, people always ask me what is going on in the markets. It's simple. Greatest speculative bubble of all time in all things by two orders of magnitude. I don't think he's uh, usually about hyperbole, but um, so we'll see. I mean, this, it's always a risk, isn't it? And if you look at the Buffett indicator, it's over 200%. Shall P ratio is up, what was it, 38? Last time I looked, I think 37, 38. I mean, these are, you know, you just pick one indicator, but, uh, and you could pick others, say interest rates are really low, so it's be fine. So uh, Stanley Druck and Miller talking about, you know, if inflation takes off, that could be bad for the share market. Over the lot, you know, um, the Fed's, I see the Fed overnight, Powell said that they, I did concede that inflation may be go higher than they think and may not be trans transitory, but it, you know they're bargaining, still bargaining on that it will be. And even if it takes off, they've got tools. Um, you know, they're not going to say anything public if they <laughs> if they suddenly think that it, it's not transitory. Anyway, um, so yeah, Tesla. I think you know sometimes people are too harsh, just like you know just. But I'm not buying unless it gets really way down there because there are too many other opportunities. If you think there are thousands of thousands and thousands of stocks in the world 
about 10% of them are really good companies and so there are a lot, there's a lot of opportunity and I, as I said I'm looking for smaller ones or bigger ones with, a, with still with a lot to go and that's what I want to talk about today. I still find myself looking at uh, large cap companies sometimes uh, and I've been partly because I think the US market you know from what Barry was saying that I mean the the US market in places still it's still you know richly valued I think and so diversity global diversity is good I've you know bought some stocks that are Europe Europe based Asia based I'm looking at Asia more I've got uh, one in Japan Shinokan small cap and China I've been looking at China which is really what I think I'll talk about today more from now just having a, have a look at China I mean I, I can't remember whether I mentioned the last one that I bought 10% allocation in Alibaba there's been a lot of talk on Fintwit you know I mean I admittedly what pushed me over the edge was Charlie Munger buying a 20% allocation for Daily Journal I had owned it before and I wished I hadn't sold it um, but I, I re-bought it it's currently down for me from where I bought about six percent and um you know i've got ten percent if it goes down like ten percent from where it was i might consider buying more but you know i, I know i might have talked about this before you know charlie munger works with lee lu who i really respect as an investor and he respects who who knows a lot about china uh, famously was a refugee from china went to Heard a Warren Buffett lecture by chance. I don't know if it was by chance. One day at Columbia Business School, and I guess he was visiting. Just went to a free lecture or something, and then I went to Columbia Business School. And more famously, while he was a student, used his I think he used his student loan uh, money um, to invest while he was studying value investing and made. I think he made a quite a fortune even when he was a student there. Um, I remember hearing him say that in a talk there actually a while ago that people should put into practice what they're actually learning. But anyway, so Bunga works closely with Lilu. I think they talk weekly or something like that. Um, and he trusts Munger trusts Lilu to invest his personal money, the only investor, and I'm sure they talked about. A lot about Chinese stocks and uh, Munger's been to China and so you know I wouldn't call it in my circle of competence China but I do want some allocation to China so what do I do I mean I've kind of been burnt long ago with uh, a small cap Chinese stock which I, I mean I sold it for a profit but I there was a short report that I kind of agreed with it was just a, there was a doubt in my mind and I just it's over the accounting practices when the numbers seem too good to be true. They probably are. Um, and, you know, I don't, I've never been there. I don't really know how the system works there. I've, I've read as much as I can all the time, you know, but learning more and more. And Alibaba was the one. So what I'm saying is really that I w wouldn't go for small cap stocks there because I just don't know. It's just too risky, and even if it seems good, you just don't really know what's going on. Um, 
So Alibaba is a massive company, but if you look at it in comparison to Amazon, you know, Amazon is only three times the, the market cap. And there are, you know, there are similarities there. And I just think it's got a long way to run and it's, it's value and growth at the moment. Not advice, um, but, you know, obviously Charlie Munger's put 20% in and it's for the long term. So it's, so we'll see what happens. Put 10% in there. If it goes way down, it might be too tempting to go up higher. But 10% is usually my top allocation. But so another Chinese company that I've been looking at, I'm very <laughs> fascinated by is Pindoldol. 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 They've got a catchy, catchy theme tune. Um, that, and there's a, there've been a po- couple of podcasts. I don't know. One was recent on um, TIP, which I'm sure a lot of you listen to. Um, the investment podcast. So they had the the um, is it like their masterclass or whatever they call it, once a quarter or once a month even. Um, they somebody brought up the company, and you know it's interesting as a value investor. It seems crazy to to bring up a company like this because it's. Let's look at it. It's fast, incredibly fast growing. It's gone from zero to, to went to zero to 160 billion market cap in five years. So if you're not familiar with Pindoldo, I hope I'm not butchering that. I probably am. I don't know how to pronounce it, but I've heard people on podcasts. Anyway, so. As a as a value investor, it seems crazy, right, to be thinking about buying a company that has grown from zero to 160, and that you know the price multiples on this thing, the multiples on this thing are are not what you call value. Value. <laughs> um, let me just look up here. Um, so you know, just superficially. They're not what you call value. So, you know, when we talk about um, like EV to revenue just basically is 12.64, which actually isn't bad considering. I think Tesla's way more than that. But um, this is the thing. I mean, you know, if you just look at like price to sales is 13, um, price to free crash rate about 39. I'm just, that's not what I've worked out. It's just what I'm just looking at is it on a, on the website, just superficially, um, but the, the growth is just phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. So if it can keep it up, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't look expensive. So I've got a cat meowing in the background here. We just have to put up with that. Um, so you know, things like the gross margins are in the 60s. There's, you know, very little debt. Revenue growth is is incredible. You know, like. Um, it's been over 100%, well over 100%. So if they keep that up, um, the, these price, the price of it is truly isn't that isn't that much. When you think about Tesla, I mean, it's it's okay. It's it's like okay. The growth is is big, but it's to compared to, I think, Pindelto has been one one of the the fastest growing companies ever, perhaps. You know, it's it's this is what attracted me to it. I just thought, what is this company? And what I like about it is, you know, people talk it they they talk about it as a 
a cross between um, Costco and Disney, which is, I don't know, Disney doesn't make sense, but I think they meant the fun and the gaming because it's social e-commerce, okay, and that very interested in social e-commerce, I think it's got, it's just very interesting as a as a powerful, you know, driver, and, you know, I, I also own Poshmark, which is social e-commerce in the U.S., um, I don't know, there's just really not much of it in the U.S. at the moment, that's the only one I've really come across, you could say that Instagram and Facebook are trying to do it, but, you know, not really, it's not built that way from the start, so, Pinjojo was, was built that way from the start, as in, um, I mean, you can look it up, I'm not going to explain it all, but basically they they have a, it's, what's interesting from a value point of view is that if you know, like, Nick Sleep's strategy of finding companies that, like Amazon, it's more like Amazon and Costco, it's more like Amazon, Costco and Google combined, I think, you know, it's like, because they, they make money from the advertising from the vendors and they're selling, it's an app where they have a cheap price and you get, it's and, and Groupon too. So you get a group of people and you buy it and it gets cheaper and cheaper the more people you have. It starts off as a cheap price, nobody pays the full price. And that's what's made, made it catch on, you know, it's it's viral, viral selling, group, group buying. And uh, I think we, from WeChat, it's got a lot of its users from WeChat because it works in with that, and it's just just hit on this model. And like there are risks in going forward, but it's getting into groceries now, so it's building out infrastructure, delivery infrastructure, um, groceries. I think so fresh groceries from from small farmers. It's just the thing is, I I don't think it probably couldn't work in the US in the same way because because the delivery infrastructure is different. And I'm trying to learn more and more about China and. They are able to deliver quickly because delivery infrastructure is sort of built already. They, when they started off, they didn't have to build any delivery infrastructure. They just built the app and, you know, it, it could work already. And they're sort of now building it out because they need to grow more and more. And they want, they're aiming for fresh groceries, which is a massive market. And it was aimed at tier three and four cities, you know, whereas uh, Alibaba and JD sort of work with tier one and two cities, I think, more. And so they sort of had this market that wasn't that sort of tapping into this other market. But over time, I think it's got a long way to run. I mean, if you think about the the reason, I mean, I, you know, I'm looking for small companies that can go 10x, but I think this could go 10x. Um, did I say? I, I've, I've had a nibble at it, you know, like I was looking at it thinking, this thing's expensive, but... It may not be, you know. I also saw Lee Lu, who I just talked about, bought one, bought some, a small amount in the, uh, in the quarter, last, fourth quarter last year. And the cheapest price there was like in October, early October, and around 70 something dollars. And it shot up after that. And I'm wondering that maybe he didn't buy more because it shot up and he hadn't finished buying. And it was like, well, that's got too much. <clears throat> but since then, so it's now, you know, like 122. And I, I can say I nibbled it around that because um, I just think it, it may not be expensive if it can keep it up. 
and uh, I know it's not traditional value investing, but I think it's still value. Just it seems crazy, I know, but um, if you think, I think both like Alibaba, from where it is, it could like three x to get to Amazon, and then the market's just bigger than Amazon has, really. I mean, just the you know, um, and Pindogdo is if it's 160 billion, which I think it's cheaper than that now because it's come off. I mean, when you know, when I this year, when you look at the price, I think it's down just a quick check, about 40 percent, 40 percent from from the high, and you know, let's say it would, that was really high. I mean, that's um, I mean that's. It was 174% up from when Lilu bought it in October and then down, you know, 40%. And so it's, it's sort of almost double, double when Lilu bought it, um, which makes me hesitant, but it's growing so fast. It may have problems, you know, the founder, it's an interesting story. The founder worked, was one of the first hundred or so employees at Google. Um, he just struck on, I think he struck on something really powerful in terms of the business model that hasn't been done before. And I don't even know if it could work in, in the US in the same way. I mean, I think Groupon could have been it, but it wasn't, it didn't work uh, the way it could have. And they've struck upon this, this model that just works and it's so powerful. So it's fascinating to me. And I don't, I mean, I, I may increase my stake over time. We'll see how it goes. I'm hoping it goes down, of course. Um, but could it go 10x? I think so. I think so. It's got competition. I mean, you know, it's got as many users as as Alibaba almost, you know, already after five years. So let me let me tell you a bit about it here. Um, so it began in 2015. And it's got to where it has just in five years. Um, so the basis of it is that it was founded in 2015 and has grown to become the biggest online marketplace for agricultural products in China, you know, which is different from the other platforms. That's what it decided to go for. Um, through our platform, we have worked with more than 12 million growers and their communities helping them to take part and in, in, and benefit from the fast growing digital digital economy. But it um, monetizes primarily through advertising. Ninety percent of its revenues come from online marketing services, with the remainder coming from transaction services. So it's only small. Like when people buy, they don't they don't take much of a cut from that. So it's that next sleep. What next sleep looks for. You know, of um, scaled economies shared, I think it is. I've got that around the right way, but it's basically they're passing on the savings to the customer. And they, you know, and, that, and they go for massive scale. So that's Costco and Amazon. And I think this qualifies, you know. That's why it interests me because they, they're keeping costs very low. Some of it's incredibly low, the costs. I don't know how they're able to do it, um, to deliver it. I noticed with the groceries, they, they're not delivering last mile. They're developing infrastructure, but they've done it. So 
the groceries get dropped off, fresh produce. I think you can you can opt for fast or within a week for some things, and they drop it too. They have drop off points near your near home, and it covers a vast area. And then you go and pick it up, so it saves that cost of just that last mile or even less than a mile, you know. Um, so it charges no commission or very small commission on actual sales, but it has advertising from the producers on the platform, and that's where the, most of the money comes from. I think with the groceries that they're developing over the next few years, uh, they are going to charge more of a transaction fee. Um, so this is interesting. So in terms of social e-commerce, it says, uh, while team purchase was the main reason for Pindoldo's rapid growth, a few pillars supported its growth and success. The high penetration of the logistic network in China that supported fast and low-cost delivery services. The prevalence of online payment facilities and the fact China is the manufacturing base of most items sold by e-commerce platforms worldwide. So, and I've I've also read that it's over time it's developed that it cuts out a lot of the marketing and branding because producers can they advertise directly on the platform and the news the feed is more like a news feed. It's not where like on Amazon where you search for something or Google where you search for something, it sort of comes up. So it's a fun platform that you go to and you can even play a game, a farm bill type game on there. That, And if you, over time, you get a, a basket of fruit delivered to you if you kind of win that game where you're growing fruit. It's, you know, that's the fun gaming aspect of that people go spend a lot of time on the platform. But they've developed a system more and more where, so these manufacturers, we're not talking about food. Manufacturers of items can, they can almost create things on demand because there's because of the volume on the platform, and they understand that they can tell what people want, or they might take requests. They also have video on there, and so they can manufacturers can make things specifically for customer and know what they want, sort of like on demand, and that's that's uh that's new too. That's, and, it, and doing that at scale is could be powerful too. There's a lot of interesting things here to me. One of the unknowns, and it's partly why the price has gone down, although they have for a lot of great stocks since February, it's the same situation and same with Alibaba, which is why I bought Alibaba. But the you know the founder Colin, what's his name? Colin Shang, is it? I don't know how to pronounce it. Shang. Um, he left, he stepped down as CEO, which is like eight, five years into it. But I, maybe that's something to do with, you know, the question of being, you know, antitrust monopoly. Maybe he, but he still owns a, a very good percentage of the shares. I think he owned 50% when I went, when I first uh, was listed. And, but I think he owns about, owns about 30, which is, you know, a good percentage. So it depends what he does. It's worth that he's sort of, interested in sustainability so he's sort of maybe he's looking into their next phase um with grocery the grocery aspect i'm not sure we just don't know and um but that's unusual it's like you know basil stepped aside but this is only five years in so it could be something to do with 
not being because he's like became become the richest one of the richest people in China and seems like the government there is um, wary of having two powerful pe- two powerful people running these companies. So maybe there's something to do with that. I don't know, but maybe he's doing something, you know, playing something else. We'll have to see, but it's probably a good bet that it's going to keep on going, you know. Um, so and it's a it's a challenge for for Alibaba and JD as well. And so maybe there'll be intense competition as, I mean, how big can they grow if they've, in five years they've got as many, almost as many um, active users as Alibaba and, you know, JD. I mean, how many, but I still think this, you know, depends what they do from here, but um, I don't like it. I like the stock. I like the company. So, but I've just nibbled on it. It's just a small thing, but I, I'm gonna watch this over time. It's just, just the whole thing, the whole um, business model and the way it's grown so fast is fascinating to me. And you know, let's see if this can work. Something like this can emerge in the US. It hasn't, and it's surprising that it hasn't. But maybe it's, you know, to do with the delivery infrastructure or the, the costs or just. I mean, Poshmark interests me because it is that mar- online marketplace for resale of clothes. And people spend a long, there's a big social element. People spend a long time on the site, sellers do. It's because they have to to set it up and to sell the thing. So it involves video, there's a lot of live streaming video in China. Anyway, basically, you know, I wanted allocation in China. You know, there are things that I don't like about China, obviously. Um, Li Lu doesn't even, I mean, he escaped after being a democracy activist in the late 1980s and became an investor and now invests in the US and China both. Um, so, you know, I don't think it's, the government's not a reason not to invest there for my liking because the people aren't the government um, or the system. And, yeah, it's obviously a huge market and it's good to have diversity outside the US and in other countries, um, you know, the whole delivery aspects become more interesting to me. I've, I uh, have a, a stake in Just Eat Takeaway, which has just taken over a quiet Grubhub, um, a little bit of Uber, so a little bit of Uber, which I don't know if we'll keep that. It's a big cat, big cat, but it's done well. Anyway, the whole delivery and distribution aspect and e-commerce is interesting to me okay i think that's enough for today and uh i found that a bit interesting i just talking through it it's sort of um you know i realize how sort of um interesting this is to me and are we following it